And on that note, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. And I'm Scott Powell. I am a doctor, and uh, yet you would probably not trust me to do surgery. Why not? Because my doctorate's in philosophy. So you could talk to me about the nature of your medical condition, but not necessarily treat it. Why do I have pain, doctor? What is Why pain? Why does God allow pain? Yeah, you could do that. I could talk about that. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, I'm I, Scott Powell, actually. And I'm actually Father Peter Musset. Surprise! April Fool's! Oh my gosh, my kids will not get off the April Fool's kick. Oh no. And I've got to explain to them, it's just one day of April. <laughs> Everything is an April Fool's joke now. Oh It's my like goodness. we've unleashed this beast onto them. Dude, I... I, I and got... it's, all, it's all just lame stuff. I got Scott. I'm like, hey, do you good. guys know where my keys are? And they're like, I do. April Fools. <laughs> it's just like the worst, <laughs> the worst stuff. You guys ready to go to mass? I am April Fools. <laughs> this is this is my life lately. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you did get me well. So I was I, looking for another job. I sent out a, an email to everybody at 1 a.m. on April 1st, and I said, mm-hmm. um, I said, dear staff. Um, <laughs> Uh, I just got a call from Jamie from First Bank, First Bank, and uh, she said that all of our uh, accounts have have been compromised, breached. breached. We've had a, an account <laughs> breach, and we have no more money. I'm calling an emergency meeting. Oh yeah, no, it was beautiful. Like I got six, I got six of my nine full time solid. I got you back a little bit. You did. I was in a meeting with Rabbi Green, and uh, and you were like, "Okay, I'm I, I'm calling people. I'm making it happen." You did it with such urgency. I was like, "Oh, I'm the worst person." I ever. convinced him I had Archbishop Chaput helping from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia to help pull us out of the hole. Mm. Which, you know, which terrified you. It did because I was like, "You should have gone to Aquila first. I wanted you to feel like you had taken it too far. And I had taken it too far. No, you hadn't. It was good. You got me. Uh-huh. Anyway, it is the second. No. Third. It is the third Sunday of Easter, <laughs> dude. You you know I feel well, like the second Sunday I feel is like mingled with a, divine mercy. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm going to a um, monster truck monster rally. truck rally with Sunday, you. Sunday, 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 snap into a slim gym. <laughs> third Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It is actually Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It is the third Sunday. Well, it not, is Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, I see what you did See there. what I'm saying? I see what you did there. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Right. Blessed have... Antonio Frederick Odnazaman. Odnazaman. So our first reading is presently from the Acts of the Apostles. Pronounce <laughs> saw, it correctly. I saw how you uh, caught yourself there. Yeah, absolutely. Are we in Acts of the Apostles all of the Easter season? I believe uh, we are for the first reading. I think we may I, very yes, well may be. We, we absolutely are. I just checked that. And it's a uh, five twenty-seven to thirty-two, forty B to forty-one. Forty B. This is the perfect moment if you are feeling like, you know what? I listen to the lanky guys and. They never read the readings. Why don't you what go? What do you mean they never read the readings? I mean, we do it sometimes in the middle, but- Who do you guys think you are? Who do you think you are? What do you mean we never read Did the Did you readings? drink Red Bull today? No. Okay. I had hey, a lot of coffee. Hey, I want to give a shout out to all the priests of the Archdiocese of Denver. In particular, Father Nathan Goebel, who promised to listen to this. Awesome. Which I don't think he will, but- And uh, Father Geronimo, dude. Father Geronimo is a, is a, is a dedicated listener. Oh, man. Well, up on the you. Western Slope in between all of those really far-reaching parishes in the middle of the mountains. Dude, I love the Western Slope. And the Western Slope loves you. It doesn't. I don't think it cares one way or the other about me. I don't think totally it has frank. emotions, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about nature's of things. The responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 30, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5 through 6, 
verse 11, 12, and 13. And our responsicle itself comes from 2A. Ah, oh. we'll praise you, Lord. You see what I did there with your, your yawn? Oh. Take your eye. Oh. And then we're into Revelation mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the chapter 5 to the eleven fourteen. Who will open the scroll for us? Revelation. The gospel reading is we're doing the full-blown uh, long form. Long John form. chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Over with our crew at the Sea of Tiberias. Dude, what's up? And, and T. Diddy is there today. T. Diddy. Did you know that my uncle actually is a radio announcer? And I always aspired to be really? that. Yeah, he's got a good radio voice. I just wished I could do that. Dude, I think you have a great radio voice. The voice of the Massillon Tigers, Walter J. Bronzak. The Massillon Tigers? Junior. Yeah, you better believe it. Who's, where's Maslin? Ohio, obviously. I mean, obviously. Come on, man. All right, our first reading, Acts of the Apostles. Dude, um, I was just reading this, and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I, do not accuse me. I didn't say anything. anything. I said you, okay. Yeah, yeah. You accused me in your heart, and everybody heard it in your they voice. Didn't. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. They don't know. And uh, as I was reading this, um, I just was. Um, Struck by how little um, we actually get direct persecution. Pardon me? Like, what, do you, what do you mean? Stop speaking. You mean you and I? Yeah, yeah. Stop speaking oh. the name of Jesus. Like, nobody really mm. says that to me. Yeah. No. I yeah, mean, no, that's true. I was just thinking about that. That's true. We we had a big talk, uh, one of our lectures at the Aquinas Institute last night on, on ISIS and what's happening to the Christians in the Middle East. And so... Real persecution is kind of fresh on my mind. Yeah, we're not really dealing with it in this country, but I was reminded last night hearing this lecture just about how how not abstract persecution needs to be in our day and age, that this, this really is happening. And, right. and there's no reason to think it couldn't happen here. No. Because our world is getting smaller and smaller in a lot of ways. So, yeah, you're right, and that, that should serve as kind of a warning to us. But at the same time, Gosh, there's actually some beautiful stuff in here. So this is, um, we're kind of, we're not picking up exactly where we left off last week. We're jumping a little bit. But you remember last week, was it boing, last week? Boing, yes. Yes. Boing. Boing. Yes. Boing. yes. <laughs> last week, um, we had that scene where uh, the apostles were doing these mighty deeds and all this stuff. And people were both terrified of being a part of them and also intrigued by them. And, yeah, that? and giving them respect. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it but, literally used the word respect. Respect, just a little bit. But this week, you kind of see, you know, in part, why they're so afraid of joining in this, because now the apostles are on trial. They've just been in prison. This is this great scene. They're in prison, and they um, they were they were freed miraculously from the prison. Um, I, I, I just ha- so I want to talk about this passage. So it begins by saying, when the captain of the court. And the officers had brought the apostles in. They made them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them. <laughs> and it's, I don't, I, well, there's so much that's going on. So this high priest is questioning them, saying, hey, we we told you guys to stop preaching about the name of Jesus. Like you said, this, this you, you got to stop doing this. Yet you, but, but it's almost this confoundedness. Like, well, wait a second. I mean, people listen to the high priest. That, that's the sense you're getting. Like, did you guys really just ignore what I said? I am the high priest. I told you to stop doing this. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And it actually says, you want to bring this man's blood on us. Literally what he's saying is, you are trying with your teaching 
to accuse us of being guilty of murder? Do you understand the charge, the libel that you're actually Mm. bringing against us? Who do you think you are? Right. But in a certain sense, so yeah, you have the apostles here on trial. It, It mirrors so much. Jesus being on trial before the high priest, before the Sanhedrin, right? The the apostles doing exactly what Jesus did in the Gospels. But, and of course, Peter Peter has his brilliant response saying, you know, we have to obey God rather than men. He actually echoes what Plato said when he was put on trial. We have to obey God rather than men. You know, the God of our ancestors, he raised Jesus, and though you had him killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at the right hand of as leader and savior to grant Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins, et cetera, et cetera. And the Sanhedrin's like, this is ridiculous. Just stop doing it. <laughs> it's like you get the sense they're kind of rolling their eyes. They're like, okay, fine. We heard what you said. Stop now. Right. And they're kind of getting desperate. Right. And you might think to yourself, well, we'll just put him to death. You know, I mean, that's what they did to Jesus when they got fed up with hearing what he had to say. Why is the—you get the sense that they're kind of running scared. They're on the defensive. and Yeah, because, I mean, we, people are being—numbers uh, are being added to them every day. Well, not only—yes, yes. And because of that, I just want to read what happens right before this, which I read right before the, the podcast, and I was sad that I didn't read it before this. But, um, uh, yeah, so this is in verse 21, the second half of 21. So we start in verse 27 this week. Okay. But if you back up to verse 21 and kind of put it in context— so remember, just before this, you had them preaching and, and doing things in Solomon's portico and doing these mighty deeds, and people are intrigued, and they're kind of threatened, and they're kind of freaked out. And, um, do, do, do. yeah, it, verse 17, let's start there. It says, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, they filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, they put them in the common prison. But at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and he brought them out. <laughs> and it, so, you know, you're sitting in prison, yeah. an angel shows up, he's like, hey. Get going. You can you can go now. Um, and he, the angel said to them, go stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of life, of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple and they taught at daybreak. If somebody frees you from prison, from doing something that might get you put to death, and you get miraculously freed, your first response might not be to go back and keep doing it. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yep. number one, it shows the boldness that they have, the fearlessness. I'm reminded of St. Sebastian. You know the story of St. Sebastian? He was this Roman uh, Roman centurion, Roman First soldier. martyr, yeah. No, St. Stephen was the first martyr. Oh, so Sebastian, he, Sebastian has later. arrows. Yeah, so, I mean, he was this uh, Roman soldier who came to know Jesus, proclaimed Jesus, tried to teach his fellow soldiers about him. He was put to death. They, they shot him full of arrows, left him for dead, and he pulled himself up, still with arrows sticking out of himself, crawled back to the place where all his fellow soldiers were, stood back up, angels co- or uh, arrows coming out of him, Ken continued preaching. He's like, let me finish telling you what I was going to tell you. <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, you still have arrows sticking out of you. But you're like, you managed to get back up and he just went back for more, which is what the apostles are doing. And the, the power of that... yeah. Here's what it says next. This is verse 21. The high priest came and those who were with him, and he called together the whole council and all the Senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Luke is kind of, I think Luke's trying to be a little bit ironic here. He's showing kind of with with this pizzazz, like there was, they all came together with the high priest and the whole Senate and the whole council. It's a really big deal. It's a formal affair. And he's just going to show that they're completely incompetent. They're impotent. They have no power over him. 
And he's making this big deal about how all this pomp and circumstance, they're coming, they're doing these things, and they're actually powerless. Mm. It says, verse 22, but then the officers came to this whole, you know, very formally gathered group, and they came and they didn't find him in the prison. And they came back and reported. I mean, imagine you're those soldiers. They're like, go and bring the prisoner. And they go and they're like, uh-oh, this isn't good. The prisoner's not here. But the doors are still locked to the prison. Like, everything's still here. The, the guards are still here. The doors are still locked. I have to go back to the whole Senate and the high priest and the council and be like, um, we kind of lost him. We lost these guys. Sorry. But I think it's even better than that. There's, there's another line. Um, yeah, verse 24, it says, When the captain of the temple and the chief priest, they heard these words, they were much perplexed. That's to put it lightly. Perplexed about them, wondering yeah. what this could come to. And some who came told them, the men who put who um, you put in prison, they're standing in the... Oh, you're looking for them? They're right over there. They came back. They yeah, came exactly. back. But listen to this, verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but without violence. Why? Because they were afraid of getting stoned by the people. Do you see how the tables have begun to turn? Yeah. So, you know, originally these... Christians, Jesus in particular, they're preaching, they're saying these things, and the threat is that they're going to be stoned and put to death. Now, it's actually the guards and the soldiers who are like, if we kind of take these guys by force, the people might stone us. Yeah. We're actually kind of taking on the threat and the punishment that we're trying to put on them, Yeah. which shows the power of the gospel to... I was, I was doing a Bible study with Focus this morning, and we were talking about the book of Romans and, and sort we were talking about that very difficult passage. It's in Romans 13 about um, respecting government authorities that are put over you. And you're like, this is the, these are the people that are under the emperor Nero who had one of the bloodiest persecutions of Christians that the world had ever seen. And Paul is telling them to respect that actually God is in charge of those religious authorities as well. And the idea is, and it's the same as the idea with the apostles here. They're standing before the high priest. They're standing before the, San the Sanhedrin, just like Jesus did. Jesus could have struck him with a bolt of lightning and ended it all right then and there. But he actually submits himself. He says, and, and he says to the high priest, he's like, you wouldn't have any authority if my father didn't give it to you. But such as it is, I'm going to actually stand here and take this. And so too do the apostles. And what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is that, look, Jesus doesn't need anarchists. He doesn't need people. There's been enough people in human history who have tried to take matters into their own hands and say, well, we need to wipe out these people or this authority or this government or this or that to bring about the kingdom of God. Yeah. He's saying the kingdom of God stands on its own. The kingdom of God makes empires fall to their knees. And mm. I was reading a commentary about Romans, and it was, it was just fascinating thinking how many groups, how many bands, you know, look at Jesus in the Gospels. He's constantly trying to dissuade his brothers and sisters, these these Jews in Palestine, from taking up arms and attacking Rome and these little revolutions that are left and right happening. There were so many revolutionaries, so many different groups trying to take down the Roman Empire. Do you know the only group in human history that actually did take down the Roman Empire? was the Christians right? who submitted themselves and said, no, we are going to stand firm. You can do what you want to us, but we believe that God alone has the vengeance. God alone is the one who will stand up and fight for us. And that actually crumbled the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. That witness did it. 
And now you have the apostles, and they're like, do whatever you want to us. We're not going to stop preaching the name. The only power they have is the words of Jesus. Those words actually strike fear into the heart of the Roman centurions Mm. and the guards and the Sanhedrin, the council that's trying to bring them to justice. They're horrified of the name of Jesus, which shows you the power of the power that God has and the power of submitting to God's authority Mm. and actually giving ourselves to that and saying, God, do with us what you will. This is such a powerful scene. Yeah, no kidding. So I think it's cool. And again, they're like, just out of desperation, they're like, just stop doing it. Just stop. And they're like, all right, we're out of here. (laughs) Let's go teach again. They were like, that was great. And then they end by saying, it's that that last line. They felt worthy to suffer for the name. Well, they rejoiced. They're like, thank you for letting us suffer for your name, which is so counterintuitive. It is really counterintuitive, but then- But why is it not counterintuitive for them? Why does that actually make sense in the Christian mindset? Oh, I mean, because it's the imitation of Christ. Exactly. It's it's just it's just saying like, oh, I've been found worthy to walk in the way of my Savior. To be like Jesus. Yes. Boom. Boom. Which is so cool. Which psalmifies us. It really does. So Psalm 30, I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Do you know the context? I don't know if you, you got a chance to, to poke around. For I this did one. not. This one's cool. Uh, psalm 30 is, it, it's called even the title of it in the scriptures. It's a psalm that was sung at the at the rededication of the temple. So it's the psalm that was sung at Hanukkah. So remember in the time of uh, um, the Maccabees, yeah. um, the temple was taken over by the Greek Empire. So they were the ones that preceded the Romans. The Greek Empire took over um, the Holy Land. They took over Palestine. They made it illegal to be Jewish. You know, the Maccabees revolted. They, they regained the temple. They cleansed it from all the idolatry and stuff that the Greeks had put in there. And when they rededicated it, they sang this psalm. And they said, thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. I will extol your name because you have rescued us. We can rededicate this. Isn't it interesting that that's what the church chooses to put in this Sunday? As we read this story about the temple of Jesus the body of Christ, the body of believers actually being rededicated in a certain sense. All right, the angel released us from prison. We got beat up. Yes, that is our rededication. We thank you, Lord, for you have rescued us. Not just because you opened the prison door and we were able to get out, but that you allowed us to go back to preach the gospel, to silence the, the voices of the world because of the power of the name of Jesus. We got beat up for that. You've rescued us. Mm-hmm. Their rescue is actually in the fact of their persecution, yes. which is, again, so counterintuitive. But if you understand what Christianity actually is, you have this worldview that's able to look into the face of a threat and say, I'm actually not afraid of you. I mean, this is the thing I was talking with the, the crew this morning at Bible study. Why is it that Christianity was the one force that brought down the Roman Empire? It's because, quite simply... They were the first group of people that actually looked into Rome's eyes and said, we're not scared of you. Mm. Rome was powerful. The Pax Romana, the whole idea of the Roman Empire is that we strike fear into the heart of everyone. And we are powerful because you are afraid of us. That was their Mm. whole MO. And then all of a sudden there's this group of people that were like, yeah, we're not scared. You can put us in front of the lions. You can feed us to animals. You can put us to death. We're actually not afraid of that. Rome had no answer for that. Right. Because they'd been rescued in a profound way. That's mm. what the psalm is speaking to. Man, that's beautiful. Dude, you're on, cool. you're on fire today, man. It's all it's fresh from this morning. Which brings us to Revelation. And I point that out, by the way, 
because I'm afraid of, I'm one of those people that's afraid of everything. <laughs> and so this is one of those things like, yeah. I know what I'm supposed to be. I want that. Right. But yet, you know, I listen to the radio in the morning and I, I listen to talk radio and I, I hear the news and I'm, I'm just scared of everything. Well, yeah. And I, my job is to not be. I mean, I just think about how uh, we are supposed to be dead to sin and mm. alive to Christ Jesus. Yeah. And like, th- like, that's what we've died to. And like, even at the same time, like the fear of sinning can actually be like just yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And like the fear of the world, like yeah. a, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. And yes. like, and so with the fearlessness of saying that we have died and we have risen again is, is really attractive. And the great news of that, and this is what we'll get to in the gospel, not to get ahead of ourselves. The people that we're seeing with their fearlessness and acts are the very same people that, what was it, just last week in the gospel? Oh, yeah. Were utterly terrified of everything. Oh, huddled yeah. in the upper room. Yeah, locked, locked behind closed doors. Which the good news of that is that what the gospels are trying to tell us is that, look, there's hope. Yeah, because a if lot you, of you are locked behind your own doors of faithfulness right. and devotion. and Nobody and, was more afraid than the apostles. Right. And well, now look at them. And our primary identity is actually, like, we share mm-hmm. the identity of evangelizing, period. Yeah. We're meant to go out to the world. Yeah. Yeah, but that's really good news for people like me that feel afraid. Oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, so did Peter. And now look at him. So that brings us to Revelation, which... So I was, I, I've, I've been thinking a lot today about how to connect this, and I've got an interesting thought. Yeah, because I'm looking at these, and I'm not quite sure. I mean, I love I love all of these passages. Yeah, yeah. But, On but their like, own, in their own right. In their own right. Yeah. But, like, I, I mean, I love the, the notion, worthy is the lamb was, that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Like, it's like one of my favorite moments. I love the image of the lamb of God. Yeah. I just love it. it it's one of those things that, like, it connects me to the Old Testament. It connects me to the heavenly reality. It connects me with what the sacramental nature of what we're doing is. Yeah, like I love all of those things, but I don't know how it connects between the Acts and the Gospel today. I don't exactly either. And I was really tempted again to go back three years ago and listen to our other podcast just for how this one connected. But yeah, I there, the imagery of it struck me. So so what we've got going on here is John. Still the beginning of the book, remember he sang Mass on the Lord's Day. He says, when I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, code word for Mass. So I'm saying Mass, and I begin to see all these visions that were going on, and these uh, angels singing, holy, holy, holy. I was in the throne room of God, and I looked, and he said, I saw the, heard the voices, and they surrounded the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and they were countless in number, and they all cried out with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive which, uh, which is riches, wisdom, and strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and everything in the universe, they all cried out to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And they all answered, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Mm. So here's there's a lot we could say. I mean, I, to not go into a full-blown study on Revelation, which we very well could, this is the moment when the, the scrolls are broken open, the scroll with the seven seals, which a lot of scholars think represents the old covenant. Seven seals would actually symbolize a covenant document, um, which, which only is testifiers. This... You need six testifiers, yes. and the seventh would be the one is the one who actually has offered the testimony, and is the only one that has the power to be able to actually unlock right. and to validate the testimony of the other six testifiers. Right. Well, he breaks it open. So, I mean, what's the only way to break a covenant? 
death to die. What are we looking at? A lamb who is slain, who has died. He opens the covenant. He he breaks the old covenant to free us for the new covenant in Jesus. I, I mean, there's so much going on here. Yeah. More we could say about that. But leaving that aside for a second, just look at the image. What do you have? You've got John witnessing. John, one of the apostles. Was John in the first reading? No. It doesn't really say, does it? We, I don't think it does. It doesn't. He might have been. So he very well might have. It said Peter and the apostles. He was prone to hanging out with them. <laughs> he did. He was a hanger on. So imagine John was there. There's no reason to think he wasn't. He sees this. He, he sees that. He sees this image in the first reading of these powerful people, these elders, the council gathered together to do what? To bear testimony against the name of Jesus, to bear testimony against the lamb who was slain, to show why that is not something that should be declared, to try to bring silence to the voices who are crying out. Now, what do you have in the book of Revelation? You have the exact antithesis to that scene. You have a council, you have elders, you have these creatures crying out, not being silenced, saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. It's the anti-vision, the, the, the council in the first reading, the Sanhedrin, these gathered elders are the anti-council. Mm. It's the anti-elders. It's the anti-throne room. It's, it's the opposite of what reality should be. And John is getting this vision of, okay, of, okay Ooh, this is your nice experience. Connection. Here's I what like you that. have lived. Here's why that's not reality. Here's the real elders. Here's the real counsel. Here's the true reality. Here are the real testifiers. Yes, the true testifiers. It is the anti-vision of the first reading. That's really cool. That's a totally not a stretch. Isn't that fascinating, it's though? Really, it's really a great vision. What and nice, I'm just thinking medi- in, the nicely line, in the mind of the church, though, they're like, look at, look at these two things juxtaposed. Oof. Which, again, gives us hope for our world as we see these kind of sham versions of reality and, and you know, kings who are not true kings and kings who are out for their vain glory and leaders and, and those of us. So many things that are what the Lord is trying to say is, yeah, these things are sort of images of a true reality, which is very different. Right. And uh, yeah, even just the fact that the council in the first reading, they're telling them to be silent. The council, the elders in the, in the second reading cannot be silent. Right. And they're shouting, holy, holy, holy. They're shouting, worthy is the lamb. They're shouting the things that we say in mass. Yes. And again, I've, I've got fresh in my mind this talk from last night where we were discussing these communities that are not allowed to legally say mass, that are trying to be silenced when they're shouting in the liturgy, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. They're being told to be quiet and they're dying because they're shouting it all the louder. They will not be silent because these witnesses remain. Wow. Again, there's no reason to think that couldn't happen to you and I. But it does happen. It is real. And that with the knowledge that, no, there's a heavenly reality that's beyond us. I actually don't have to be afraid. Right. Uh, which is really beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. my thought on the second reading. But I was kind of excited about that. Yeah. I thought it was neat. Uh, I think it's pretty darn neat, too. <laughs> which takes us to the gospel. Which is which really does take us to the gospel, which is like the best. I mean, the the very first most obvious is the charcoal fire that grabs us into the triple reaffirmation after the triple denial. Is that why we do it at the Easter vigil? The charcoal fire is that is there a connection? You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the new fire outside of the church. Yeah. Because it's got to be a charcoal fire, right? I mean, it's very. Isn't the rubric specific about that? No, I mean you can have wood. Well, wood I mean, that, wood creates coals, though. Which then are charred. Yeah. 
don't know. I'm not trying to stretch it. No, no I no, think you're stretching it a little bit. All right. That's um, fair. But no, I mean, but anytime you gather around a fire, you're paying attention to what what is this? <laughs> Did you just hold back a yawn? Uh, I would call it a burp. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, okay. Was, sorry. You're paying attention to what is this? Yeah. Um, yeah. What, I mean, why do we gather around the fire? I mean, th- these symbols are really potent. I mean, mm. the, the new fire is, is, I mean, gosh, I had not even ever thought about how the new fire at the vigil is actually simultaneously the denial of Peter and the triple reaffirmation of love and his sheep. Yeah, like that's cool. I actually I can hang with that. I think that there's some real meaning there. Is this this is an Easter Sunday? Is it in John? No, this is this is because like, he's revealing again. He's already revealed himself. This to is them, right? a, the, yeah. This is his third time that he's going to reveal himself to the apostles. And they just they're just fishing. Well, I, okay. This is I, I I really am fascinated by this. So I mean, you're an apostle, right? Okay. You have lived through I mean, some pretty hefty trauma the last few weeks. Times have been hard. Jesus has then appeared to you. You've witnessed it. You were with Thomas when he stuck his hands in the holes. Like you, You've seen him walk through walls. This is the real deal. And then he disappears. And you're like, okay, now what do I do? I yeah, mean, exactly. That's like, great. I'm not in utter sorrow anymore because I've seen you. But I've also, you know, they don't know this, but they haven't had Pentecost yet. They haven't actually been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. They don't have their vocation yet. Right. So you're stuck in this weird intermediary period. The 50 days between the resurrection and Passover, that's a weird time. Yes. If you're an apostle. And we're talking 50 days to try to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. I've been given this great—I mean, you know, the church sometimes likens this to the idea between baptism and confirmation— we have this gift, but it hasn't been fully brought to life in our lives yet. Right. Confirmation takes the grace of baptism, and it realizes it in a new way. It's, the church always speaks about it as the gift of the Holy Spirit unto strength. Right. So now do something. Yes. But they're in this in-between. They're like, okay, we've seen the Lord. He's breathed on us. He's actually given us a real authority, but we don't know what to do. Right. So what does a good fisherman do? Goes we go fishing, fishing. yeah. <laughs> Which there's something kind of beautiful about that, isn't that? That like we don't know what to do, so we're we're going to live. We're going to just move forward. What do I do? I'm I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go fish. I see this like sometimes like depending on where I'm at in my life, I read it in a very different capacity. One sometimes I read it and I'm like, you know what? They kind of like they've been called. They, they have identity. And they're like, dude, let's like, I just need a distraction. I just mm, need to, or, or like, or like, I just want to go back to what is known what and know. familiar. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, and, but, mm. but what's beautiful is that Christ just totally reimitates the scene from the very beginning. Like, yes. It, it, like th- there's a certain sense of them going back to the beginning. They go fishing. <laughs> Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah. And they're like, we're, we, us too. We will come with you. Yeah. We're going to come with you. And like, but like Jesus even went back to the Jordan to remember the blessing that he received at his baptism. You have uh, yeah. like, yeah. and like, and that, what we see is oh. that Jesus is actually reaffirming the initial call. Do you think, are you suggesting that? There's something in the apostles of wanting to go back to that place where they first encountered the Lord. Absolutely. 
Oh, I've never thought about that. I think I like because this is this is like because what I, that's what I was getting back. No, no, I was, I, saying, I, I was this, listening a bit, but I didn't catch it. Until. The, the, well, the second oh. part is it so, like well, sometimes I see this and what I, like you know how, what does it say in Isaiah? It says, um, um, you know, you've come the, really far, but remember when I wooed you in your youth, when I drew you out into the desert. Yeah. And the desert is a place of lack. Like, like yeah. they go and they're experiencing the lack again. Like, mm. almost like looking for that moment. And then Jesus says, mm. "Put it over the other side." And they're like, "Oh, did you hear that? I heard that." Well, they don't. They, they still don't know it's him, though. It's, I know. Th- but even that, but, but, but there's that some rando is so deep. But isn't that weird? There's some rando like do it on the other side, <laughs> like, whatever. And they're but they're so they're the either so beat down or so docile that they yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Gosh, that's fast. I mean, even the take this experience. I mean, you 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 don't know what to do. You're at this place where you're just you're kind of helpless. So you go back to the beginning, this place mm. of of to reaffirm your faith, to try to revisit what you know. And what do you find there? Utter, just utter desolation. And they caught nothing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, let's go back. Maybe we'll find some hope there. Mm. They spend all night. They catch nothing. You're like, this stinks. It's like you know. I'm going to go on a retreat to try to get revived. And you're like, oh. this stinks. This retreat is miserable. I, the, I'm not getting anything out of yes. it. You know what I mean? Totally. I've had that. That's retreat. where they are. I've had that retreat several times. <laughs> yeah. But then but then there's this one moment of like where the Lord responds and you're like, yeah. oh, it just brought it all back together. That's why I'm here. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. Like it's actually cohesive. Which it kind of is for them, but it's kind of not at the same time. Because then, they, they, yeah, they catch the fish. They recognize it's the Lord. It's exciting. There's fish everywhere. They're like, yay, fish. Health and wealth gospel. They're like, finally, prosperity. Um, well, sorry. Well, hold on. Let's take the throne room idea okay. right here for a second. Okay. I mean, you, the commentators will say that the, the catch of fish is because of Jesus saying, you'll become fishers of men. Yeah. That, in fact, this is like somehow some sort of quantitative representation of all of the nations being brought in to but they the, don't know that no no they don't know that but i'm just saying i'm i'm just trying yeah, to no, work I'm, with I'm all the with things you, I'm, I'm you know you. like like they don't know that i mean like yeah they're just they're kind of like they don't want to even ask him because they're like is that jesus and they're like i don't know man well no they get it because they remember at one point they're like it is the lord it is the lord but they john don't says but, that but john nobody's saying anything john except john John ain't saying nothing in either. He is. No, so he the isn't. disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Yeah, he said to Peter, he doesn't. Yeah, no, that's true. And then, uh, um, and none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because oh, yeah. they realized it was the Lord. And they're ashamed mm-hmm. in some sense. I mean, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to put emotions into them, but why are they, why are they afraid? Unless you're right. And there's some sense of like, well. Forget it. Let's just go. You know. Yeah. I just need to either escape or, or mm. just go back to what's familiar, which is, well, something else about that comes in later. And Jesus's response, of course, is, "Let's have some breakfast, dude." Which, that. which I think that's not the best. That's the best. Like I think that that's like the, it's so cool. I think cooks it's and Maslow's heaven. hierarchy of needs. It's like you just need to have your needs met. Maslow's hierarchy, man. Yeah, Come yeah, on. yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I know. I'm just He's like, like you're not going to get this unless you have some food. So let's just have some food. And then w- when they had finished, Jesus said to Peter, "Do you love me more than these?" Oh, by the way, fools? Bef- well, you can't. You can't get to a far- uh, first. First, 
uh, come at breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him. And then they realized it was the Lord. Third time. He came over, took the bread, and gave it to them. John, uh, there's only a couple a couple times when John mentions meals or eating. But the way that he describes this grammatically, it's it's a mirror of the feeding of the 5,000. It's oh. also a mirror of the Last Supper. I mean, John is describing it very specifically. Eucharistically. He wants you to understand eucharistically oh, wow. what's going on here. Loaves and fishes, the 5,000, and the Last Supper. He wants this. He wants your mind moving in that direction, I think. Um, yeah, and all the manner of fish. Uh, at the time, apparently... Apparently, botanists at the time believed that there were 153 different uh, species of fish. Apparently, that was a belief at the time. And so the fact that they have 153 fish, is that what it says? Yep. Um, You know, again, I think that number is symbolic. You know, I think it probably represents the nations. It's saying, well, if if there are 153 different species, it's meaning that it's meant for everybody on Earth. It's kind of cool, though. Because, like, men are like fish. Men are like fish. if, If you were a fish... Yes. I would think you would be mahi mahi. Thank you. You're welcome. Also you known as dolphin fish. Mercury free tuna. <laughs> um, <laughs> and John even goes so far as to point. He's like, by the way, this is the third time he has shown them this. Yeah, they're still not totally there. But again, I don't know. We need to have as Christians who understand this in hindsight. We have to have sympathy. And empathy for them because we realize, look, they haven't had Pentecost yet. They haven't, right? They haven't been graced with the Holy Spirit in that way yet, right? And this is really weird because there's not a precedent for this. No one's ever been raised from the dead before. You've never had a messianic king figure right. who died and then came back, but did it kind of secretly and showed up and gave you fish, right? You're like, what do we do with this? We right. understand. The framework of the king. We understand the framework of a messiah. We understand what the prophets say. The prophets don't say anything about this. Right. There's no writings. There's no precedent. There's no other groups that have some figure coming back from the dead and kind of coming and popping in and out and appearing to us periodically and feeding us breakfast. It's weird. <laughs> and we, we just have to have, but again, you know, look at the spiritual life, all those places you're like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I get that you're doing something, Laura, but I don't understand. And I'm not sure what to do about it. You know, I'm looking for my vocation. or I want to know, should I make this decision? And I see that you're moving, but I don't know what to do with the information that you've given me yet. There's something kind of beautiful about being in that place because you have no choice but to trust. Well, you do have a choice. You can be like, forget it. I'm going to do my own thing. Or you can just be still for a while and say, all right, I'm going to wait for the next sign. Which is why it's important to remember the two different throne rooms. We yeah. have the one throne room filled with accusation and mm. the other throne room filled with self-sacrifice and offering. Oh, my. And like, and, and so it's like the, the wow. great judge is in, in the midst of that. We're, we're invited into the place of self-sacrifice and worship of the lamb and the one who has shown us the way versus accusation and fear and tumultuous uh, behavior. Which is interesting because of what happens next. So they finish breakfast, right? Jesus pulls Simon Peter aside. And he's... he's, I do like that line. It says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I feel like we have talked about this in the podcast. This question, what is the these? Is it the other apostles or is it the fish? I think it's the fish. Because I think Peter's tempted to throw in the towel. He wants to go back to his old way of life. Mm. At least I can catch fish. At least I've got a fallback career. So Jesus is saying, mm. do you, and I, Jesus is like, I just blessed you with a lot of fish. 
you could have great success in the fish business world, potentially. You know, I mean, it would it might whet his appetite. Imagine Jesus is calling you away from your high-powered job to do something very humble and lowly, and he and you get a massive, massive raise. You're like, oh, man, that's really tempting to not do this other thing. Right. Jesus has this fisherman who's tempted to maybe go back to fishing instead of being an apostle. Right. And Jesus gives him a huge pay raise. Right. You can, you know what I mean? I don't know. And then he's like, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than what you can get from these fish? Do you love me more than financial security? Do you love me more than, um, your reputation among the other fisher? I'm, I'm not sure that's what he means. He might mean the other apostles, but, he also might mean, do you love me enough to do the thing that actually doesn't make logical sense right now? Mm, yeah. And then it gets weird. And so he's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. Then he says a second time, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was getting a little bit ticked off. And there's the grammatical piece of this, which is fascinating. Because what Jesus keeps saying is, Jesus, do you agape me? Which is the Greek word for an intimate, filial, uh, not filial, yeah, I guess filial love. Yep. Familial, self-sacrificing, deep, profound love. And Peter keeps responding with, yes, Jesus, you know that I filio you, which is a friendship love, a, a real love to be sure, but a much more kind of surface level, we're buddies you know, I love a good pepperoni pizza or I love a good cigar kind of a love. It's that kind of a love. Yeah. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Do you agape me? Will you sacrifice yourself for me? Will you give yourself? He's like, yeah, I totally beer beer buddy you, frat, frat friend, love you. Yeah. Really you. That's to put it a little too traitly maybe. Yeah. He keeps going on this. And eventually the third time Peter, or Jesus rather, kind of concedes. He's like, all right, Peter, do you feel you, me? And then Peter's like, yeah, you know that I do. I mean, there's so much going on. You know, um, Father Nathan Goebel, who was here a few minutes ago in the room, just pointed out, again, one of our favorite aspects of this, that the threefold confession of love is, in a certain sense, the antidote for the threefold denial that right. Peter had of Jesus. Right. But even his threefold profession of love, it's he's not willing to give exactly what Jesus wants. Yet, Jesus accepts it. He takes the little that Peter's willing to give. And he says, you know what? That's good enough for now because we can work with that. Wow. And what does he do from there? It's not just that's good enough. We can work with that. It's so good that I want you to feed my sheep. I mean, he's speaking to his papacy. Your job now is to lead. I want you to love me deeper than you do. Mm. You're not willing to right now. That's okay. You're still going to be the rock of my church. Mm. You're still going to follow. You're still going to be the lead apostle. But we also know where that leads because then we can go back to the first reading and see the Peter enlightened by the grace of Pentecost, Mm. enlivened by the Holy Spirit, who's willing to go before the Sanhedrin to put everything on the line, to rejoice in getting to be persecuted for the sake of the name. The Peter who finally gives over to the agape love that Jesus was looking for. It doesn't happen immediately, you know? Yep. We're a very self-gratifying culture. We want it now. We want what we want when we want it. That's never been the Christian faith. Jesus is willing to be patient with us. He'll take mm. the little bit that we're willing to give us, and he'll nurture it, and he'll grow it. Right. And it takes 50 days for Peter to even get there. And then who, how, you know, however many years then to actually grow that, to become the man who God wants him to be. But it's fascinating how pathetic of a response Peter actually gives 
and how much love Jesus gives that response and how much credit he gives to that poor, impoverished response. That's what I'm struck by here. Dude, that's great. Yeah. And then they finish their breakfast, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> Which I think uh, it means that um, uh, cooks in heaven have a deep vocation. Mm, indeed. And Especially those... fishermen cooks. Yeah, uh, so you sushi chefs who listen to us, <laughs> may you keep on cutting it up. <laughs> well said. We will be back next week, you guys. Uh, send us an email. Find us on Facebook. Tell all your friends. All right. We'll see you then. Okay. God bless you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.